And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied out the shots. So tell me why you... NFL is potable! Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, and a new title entering the husband, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, joining us after getting married. Jay, how does it feel? How is the wedding? How are you doing? It was a beautiful day. Got the best weather possible. Uh, so I've, I've actually been to weddings the last two weekends now. So mine was up first. And then this past weekend, uh, my, one of my good high school friends, Mario, got married. So I was at his wedding. And next weekend, I have another wedding Whew. for my good buddy, Kent. So it's just, it's madness. September madness. And then I'm finally going to get to go on my honeymoon after that. So it's just, it's a month of of celebrating love is is how i would put it and no my my wedding day was perfect it was amazing absolutely and when, perfect and when folks think about celebrating love they usually think about jay king now jay you looked uh incredibly dapper out there uh very yeah, very handsome people man. won't see that very often no no the most uh, kind of uh polished i've ever seen the kid look now, my question is, going to all these weddings, and then tell me if this was different at your wedding, are you a dance floor guy? What is it, What are you doing during the wedding? Did you dance at your own wedding? I can't imagine you dancing ever. I don't think I've ever seen you dance. So I am not at all a dancer. Uh, like, the last thing on earth I normally want to do is dance. But you have to at your own wedding, because you've got your your first dance with your wife, and then you've got your dance with your mom. And I I danced one other time at, at my <laughs> wedding for like a couple minutes. And my wife and I were like very different wedding people. So she's a dancer and I just like to chill around the corner and just hang out with friends. And uh, but we make it work. You know, we make it work. She, she danced with her, all her friends, with her parents, with my parents. And I didn't dance at all. So, <laughs> so we made it work. <laughs> that's that's the signs of a, a beautiful compromise, and I'm glad to glad that it made it happen. All right, we are here to talk about the Boston Celtics. I just got an email today. Media Day is next Monday, which is absolutely wild. A very very short off season for the Celtics. We have not podcasted uh, in a decent amount of time because you know we just heard Jay was getting married. I'm starting back up school again. Uh, and with that being said, we the last time we podcasted, the news was Danilo Gallinari. Danilo Gallinari uh, had uh, had only a minor injury to his. I can't forget it was his ACL, MCL, ACL, Achilles. It uh, was uh, it was expected the meniscus at first. Oh yes, and then it came came and came true that it was actually a torn ACL as well. So. So we podcasted and talked about how, oh, he's only going to be out for a little while. We'll expect him to be back. Um, it'll allow some things. And then I think within three hours of us publishing that podcast, it came out that he tore his ACL and will likely be out for the entire season. Jay, I mean, we talked about it last podcast about how it, it does hurt their depth and it makes the the kind of questions about who's going to play backup center, I think, more of an issue. Um how much does this change kind of what the Celtics are trying to do heading into next season? How big of an impact is not having Gallo for the entire year going to be, be on this? Like how much does that impact the Celtics? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is they just don't have as many lineups with shooting 
anymore. He he's a really really good shooter. He's shot forty percent from three in three of the last four seasons. He's six ten and huge. Every time I see him, I'm just like, oh my god, that guy is so big. You don't realize it all the time on TV. But he can punish switches in the post, so he's just an offensive option. Um, and I do think it limits the amount that Celtics will be able to rest guys, which that has been an, one of their spoken uh, goals for the coming season is to give guys more rest to limit minutes for their star players like Jason Tatum, like Jalen Brown. But I think also they want to limit minutes for Al Horford, who's 36, and they want to give rest days to guys like Malcolm Brogdon, who's had health issues. And so I think when you lose a guy who you expected to be in the rotation, who you expected to soak up some minutes, that hampers those plans. It could also lead to more Luke Cornett, which we'll talk about him later. I know you, you want to talk about Luke Cornett quite a bit today. You're, you seem to be in a Luke Cornett mood. Um, but because I, I do think Gallinari as a small ball option at center was something that the Celtics were planning to use, at least from time to time with Gallinari and Grant Williams at the four and five. And then some combination of like Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown at the one, two and three. So, so it probably puts more pressure on Cornette to become something. And then maybe the, the biggest takeaway from losing Gallo for the full season is I now think it's it's pretty likely that they use his salary in some sort of trade at the deadline or try to um, and try to get some sort of whether it's a backup center if they feel like they need one at that point whether it's another veteran power forward type who can space the floor if they think they need that uh, but when you think about like they used one of probably that it was their biggest like free agency tool. They used it on Gallinari and expected him to play at least some role this season. So when you lose that and you're probably going to lose him for the full season since he tore his ACL and he's a 34 year old. And even if he came back, he would be coming back like what around playoff time. Can you trust him at that point? Um, so yeah, I think it just opens the possibility of trading Gallinari and a few other contracts for somebody who would be like just out of range of the what is it six point eight million dollar trade exception that they have. Now, now that he's hurt, can't they file for like a more salary cap relief with the league under like a hurt player exception? Is there any like opportunities for them to? create a bit more cap space if they were to kind of do that, which I don't know if they've done that yet. Do you know? It's a, I believe it depends. Uh, I haven't talked to anybody in the front office. I've been enjoying married life and such, uh, <laughs> but I believe that disabled player exception um, depends on whether a doctor rules that a player is likely to miss the entire season. And so I don't know if that's the case in, in this case, um, but if they were to get uh, an exception, it wouldn't be worth much because he was set to make six point something million dollars, I think. Uh, and I think it would be half of that. So it would be like barely above minimum value. It could be useful if to go after like a buyout market guy later in the season. Uh, but but yeah, I, I don't think it would be like the most useful piece to go after and there quite frankly aren't many guys to go after at this point as you probably can tell from your guy Dennis Schroeder finally finding a landing spot in the Los Angeles Lakers I I Dennis had going from turning down four years uh over 80 to taking that one-year deal what was it like 2.3 million dollars I think that's the vet minimum um as as much as I've uh you know, maybe thrown dirt on the Dennis name over the years. I don't, I don't wish the loss of $78 million on many people. And I certainly don't wish it on a uh, Dennis, but I do think it's fascinating what's going on in Los Angeles and what's that means for, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook, but this is a Celtics podcast, not a Lakers podcast. Uh, I think it's interesting. Like you say that they are like, makes it likely for them to trade Gallo, uh, coming up to this trade deadline. Cause I like, 
I can see a situation. I don't know if I'm being wildly optimistic here where it's just like his impact doesn't matter and or his like missing out on him just doesn't matter because he's what the ninth guy on this roster and they certainly do have a lot of depth. I think the things that worry me about that is Al Horford's another year older. Rob Williams has been hurt before and where where does the rest of that depth come uh, from the center position like can you see a world Noah in Vonley, which bro it could be Noah Vonley it could be uh Cobb Gele it could be Luke Cornett I've I think I've been uh, high on the Luke Cornett train and something happened recently uh that only kind of confirmed this uh I got to give credit to Bobby Manning for for pointing this out Brad Stevens on Twitter has one like he's only liked one thing in his history of being on Twitter. And it came it, like about a month ago. And it was just a highlight video of Luke Cornett doing a basic dribble move and a dunk. And I, I feel like the, like I know this caption isn't accurate, but I feel like it's like, it was like about to be scary season with Luke Cornett. And I it's actually, I've been saying for the better part of a year now, do not sleep on Luke Cornett. <laughs> he has value for the Celtics with a video of Cornette doing a reverse dunk. Like the one of the more basic, basic moves ever. It's not like he was doing something crazy in a game setting. Was it was there even a defender on him? I'm trying to remember the video. Yeah, he, it looks like he was playing pickup and like the video itself is terrible. Um, He gives like a crossover, goes left and dunks with a reverse dunk. It's a pretty nice move. I'm not going to lie. You got to give us some more respect than like a basic move from a seven foot two guy. That's just that's smooth. He fakes one way, goes baseline and then bam. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24 seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? What's it, Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello? Are you still there, Jay King? I'm back. So I, I I went and watched the video and it kicked me off of my headphones oh, well, that I'm using in the live room. Well, now you have to and, give us a full recap of the video then. Yeah, quite frankly, you did not give Luke Hornet the proper amount of respect for his move. <laughs> All right. He he went right, faked right, crossover back left, went baseline, and then threw down a reverse dunk after losing his defender so it, it it was it was worth a like uh from, from brad steven i have no doubt it was worth a like but for it to be your first like ever on the twitter platform i think it is a bold move for brad stevens maybe he didn't realize that his likes were public and maybe us uh, talking about this will make it so he'll never like a tweet again but with that being said it does feel like Brad Stevens is as aware of anyone else about where his roster stands and kind of the age of Al Horford, the kind of inconsistent playing time of Rob Williams. How much do you think he's actually relying or on Luke Cornett to give the Celtics something this uh, heading into the season? And follow-up question, how much is Ime Udoka really going to be willing to play Luke Cornett, uh, at least at the start uh, of this Celtics season? 
Yeah, so I, I think there was conversation last year, like around the time they traded for Daniel Tice, about maybe just letting Luke Cornett be the backup big man and how that wouldn't have been the worst thing possible. Um, and so I think, I do think the Celtics believe Luke Cornett has more value than probably a lot of fans do and that he can hold up defensively, um, that he can be a part of a rotation and it won't be terrible, uh, that he can like step into the Daniel Tice role. The thing that is the Celtics have to find out, I guess, is whether, like you said, Udoka can trust him in those minutes because he clearly trusted Daniel Tice. And like it, it can be a pretty pivotal position because Robert Williams will probably miss some time with some injury based on his history. Al Horford is 36, and even if he stays healthy and even if he avoids injury and even if he's just as fresh as he was last season, the Celtics are going to want to give him some time off and, and not load up tons of minutes on his body. Uh, and so... Last year, Tice, I mean, he started five playoff games. He averaged like 18 minutes a game after getting traded to the Celtics. He was a pretty, like, pretty regular piece of their rotation uh, and played some pretty big minutes for them. And now Luke Cornett's in that role. And I think Gallinari would have limited Cornett's usage a little bit, but now Gallinari's not there. And now it it is going to be on Cornett. Um, and so they have to find out if they're right about him. If he really can handle those minutes, if if he can be not just a good enough defender, which I think is probably his better half of the court, but can he be some sort of a threat offensively? Can he he's taken a ton of threes in his career and never really knocked them down too well, <laughs> but he's shot him, but he's shot him. Yeah, I, I think for his career, he's shooting like seven threes per 36 minutes or something. And obviously he hasn't had a regular role in a while. And obviously the team he's going to be playing for the Celtics, like they're more loaded and talented than any, any team he's played legitimate minutes for in the past. So he's going to have a different role, but like what kind of offensive role can he have? Um, and I, I think that's, that's where they need to figure out like how, how they can use him, how, how he, how much, how valuable he can be. And whether if you need him in a pinch, will he be good enough in a playoff series against a really good team? Because, I mean, with Al Horford at 36 and Robert Williams always close to an injury in the past, like you have to be solid in that position. You have to know what you have. So who knows? Uh, they they have said that they trust in Cornette. Um I think they were pretty close to not having obviously the Daniel Tice trade happened like right before the trade deadline last year. And if they hadn't gotten him, like Cornette would have been an option to play those minutes instead. And they went out and got Daniel Tice instead. So I don't know what that means about (laughs) whether they're serious about how much they value him. Um, But they're certainly putting, putting some, like he'll have minutes early on. I don't think there's any doubt that Luke Cornett will have minutes early on, unless one of the other centers they brought in, Noah Vonley, Bruno Caboclo, uh, Fiondo Cabangeli, like unless one of those guys is 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 ready to outplay him throughout training camp, which I suppose is a possibility. Out of those guys, who do you think's most likely right now to kind of? It feels like it's corn. We're talking about you know like the backup big position which i think this makes the celtics are in a very good position it's not like not like we're debating who's going to win the role of starting shooting guard or or even who's going to be like the first guy or off the bench it feels like the brogdon white uh grant williams are are pretty cemented in their roles uh coming off the bench so we are talking about we're not we're not even talking probably about like playoff rotation because i think if the celtics are healthy in the playoffs it's just Robert Williams and Al Horford split the center minutes. Grant Williams, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon are the three off the bench. You maybe turn to Peyton Pritchard if you want offense. And that's it. Yeah, and it's unclear if, like, like I feel like there's a lot of talk about what like, the Celtics need in this backup center 
and it's if Horford gets hurt or Robert Williams gets hurt. But it's like unclear if this position is even a need because I imagine a world where both those guys are healthy. I think there's enough like lineups uh, where uh, and flexibility where you don't maybe you see less of the kind of the two big lineup that we saw throughout the year or throughout last year. But you can kind of stagger those two guys and get have a center on the court for all 48 minutes. I think it's like more likely at this point, uh, assuming the health of the team, that like uh, maybe Hauser would get kind of more minutes off the bench just because he feels like with his shooting, uh, definitely something that the the you know every NBA teams wants shooting, and he's a big six eight guy who can kind of play wing defense. Maybe the Celtics go a little bit smaller, but. I don't necessarily think like Gallo being gone just because he's huge. I don't think he's necessarily going to be replaced with another huge individual. It feels like Hauser is much more of a two-way player at this point, and it's more likely that he steps up uh, into that eighth or ninth role than it would be Luke Cornett. Although Brad Stevens hasn't liked any Sam Hauser training videos on Twitter. So I don't know. It feels like a half dozen in one, six eggs in the other. Yeah, and I think it, it, it also comes down to how Ime Odoka decides to maximize the team. Last season, he clearly felt like playing big was the right way to go. And even when they didn't have two centers on the court with Robert Williams and Al Horford, which is their starting lineup, like they had Grant Williams in there. They almost, they normally stayed away, except like closing lineups a lot of the time. They often stayed away from... Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown playing power forward. And it was it was Grant Williams. It was Al Horford. It was whoever. Like they 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 stayed big. They played Daniel Tice. Even sometimes when they probably shouldn't have played Daniel Tice, they used him as a third center. Um there were times in the Golden State series when it was like, why are they even going to Daniel Tice right now? <laughs> like they don't they they have Robert Williams they have Al Horford they don't need to go to a third center but they 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 wanted to stay big um and and maybe that maybe that's not the path for them this year maybe they're better off going a little smaller because you know last year I think you could make the argument like with Grant Williams with uh with Daniel Tice like they're the bigs on their bench were were worth putting in but now who knows if Luke Cornett is worth putting in like maybe you're better off just going smaller and turning to three guard lineups with Pritchard White and Brogdon and Dustin off who knows Grant Williams could play backup center like he played center uh, a couple of seasons ago in his rookie year and was pretty good at it and and so I think that's an option and I, I don't think they have to use the same path as last year like that is the path that's proven. It's the path that led them to the top ranked defense. It's a path that I think helped Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, like putting those guys at the two and three rather than the three and four made them made that whole team such a formidable defense. Um, but I think if you downsize and just put more offense on the court, I think that's, that's a possible that's possibly the right move for this team. And and maybe that will hurt the defense. Maybe they'll lean more toward offense. Uh, but I do think like it's possible, even though so many of the faces are similar, that the formula will be just a little different this season. It feels like the natural adjustment with the addition of Malcolm Brogdon, like Malcolm Brogdon, he's six five, but he's most like uh, he's definitely a guard, more so a guard than a forward. I think mostly a point guard. He played thirty three minutes a game uh, last year in Indiana, and it's like averaged like thirty five minutes a game the season before that. You have Derek White coming off the bench, uh, who's a guard. Uh, he played twenty seven minutes a game last year with the Celtics. Like that's a sizable amount of bench minutes who are just made up in in guards. And so you mentioned playing Jalen and Jason at the two and the three. I think you're right. That made sense with last year's roster, but with this year's roster, you have so many more guys at uh, point guard or at shooting guard where it just feels like when the bench comes in, the natural position for Jalen and Jason after that is the three and the four. And so I think just when you bring in someone like Malcolm Brogdon's caliber, 
who is a starter in this league, but now is going to be coming off the bench. It makes sense to kind of adjust around him. So you're still going to want him to be on the floor for probably close to 25 uh, minutes a game. And you're still going to keep Marcus Smart on the floor for 30 minutes a game. You're just going to have many more talented guards on the floor. And so that kind of sizing down, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like we've talked a lot this offseason about... Do you think that will ruin their defense, though? Or better question, how much do you think it will ruin their defense? Because I think in the NBA, when you downsize, and when you're downsizing from one good defender to a less big good defender, then you're typically going to lose some of your defensive aptitude. So how much will it hurt their defense if they move... Tatum and Brown to the three and four more often. I think it's it's it could have a big impact because what like really felt like was unlocked last year was all right. We're gonna put Al Horford on like kind of the biggest center or the biggest low post threat, and we're gonna let Rob Williams kind of hang out on the weak side or roam and just kind of be explosive. And when you do that, like. When you do go smaller, you're basically you're like then putting Robert Williams on the five, and you're you're not like you he can't do that kind of roaming thing unless you want Jason Tatum or some sort of smaller player to be kind of playing the Al Horford role, taking the biggest body. And so, I think it's a, it's a very good question of how that impacts their defense. I think they're still going to be able to switch a lot of uh, different things, but it kind of doesn't allow Rob M. Williams to be at his most impactful uh, as when he's playing kind of that off ball mode. And so I don't know how the Celtics necessarily deal with that. Um, maybe it's putting Grant Williams in uh, to try and play like kind of that bigger guy, but then you're, you're kind of just back to a double big lineup in that sense. So I don't know. How much do you think it like kind of impacts them just not being able to play double bigs and not, not having Rob Williams play center field basically. Yeah. I, I, I'm not necessarily saying they won't play double bigs. Like there's a chance they just plug Cornet into the Tice minutes and, you know, sit a player every once in a while to limit the perimeter guys in their rotation and play bigger just, just as much as they did last year. Um, but I, I do think with the Brogdon addition, especially if you want to play Peyton Pritchard, like you're – you're going to be smaller. And I don't know if they're going to play Peyton Pritchard. He seems like he may be the odd man, man out again. But I also know, like, if I were running the team, Peyton Pritchard was pretty good last year. I'd want to get him some minutes some, somewhere. Yeah, he's shot 41% from three for his career. Um, he's a young dude on a rookie contract. If you can get value out of him, like, cool. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and I, I do think that... That's like one of one of the like smaller fears the Celtics should have is that they by adding Malcolm Brogdon and out adding another guard that they've set themselves up now to play smaller more often when big was their path to like becoming that bruising team that beat you up and shut you down and use their defense to start everything for them. And like Malcolm Brogdon is a good defender too. Derek White's great defender. Um, we're talking about good defenders, but we're also talking about taking some size off the court, at least at times. And if you split up Robert Williams and Al Horford for more parts of the game, you're splitting up a starting lineup that absolutely decimated opponents last year, like just dismantled them last year. And if you have to stagger those guys, whether it's because Luke Cornett isn't good enough or because you want to get more guards on the court, um, then then you're sacrificing a lineup that was just awesome. That was one of the best lineups in the league last season. So I I I do think it's 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 not as complicated as just like bringing everybody back and adding Malcolm Brogdon to it, because Malcolm Brogdon is like a legitimately good piece who's going to play a lot of minutes and he may change parts of the fabric of what made the team great. And I think he'll fit into a lot of it. Like I think he has a, a very amenable game where he can do a lot of different things. He can be used in a lot of different ways. He can play on ball, off ball. The last time like he played for the Bucks, he, he was 50, 40, 90, his last season in the Bucks, like just absurdly efficient. 
Um, but I do think like the danger there is that you do change the team a little bit and get a little smaller and a little less physically imposing. And, and who knows if, if that's the right way to go. I don't know. And I don't even know if they will change, but it's just like, those are the things I think about in the summer. And now I guess the fall while, while waiting for the Celtics season is like, how are they going to change a little bit? And, and that's just one of the ways. Do you think the change though, also like on, on the flip side could have a, a positive impact on, you talk about Brogdon's efficiency just on, I guess, late game execution, that this kind of Celtics were not the most polished offensive team last year. And there was moments where it's like Derek white was just unplayable in crunch time. And, uh, the two big lineup, I think for as good as it was defensively, they actually had some pretty outstanding numbers, uh, defensively or offensively as well, just because they were clobbering teams. But I don't think having both bigs out there was necessarily their best offensive lineup. And I just think playing Robert Williams surrounded by four guys who can all, uh, dribble, drive, shoot, and like it all kind of are dangerous uh, with the ball in their hands. I think has the uh, ability to create a much more uh, a potent offensive lineup where it's not one that kind of relies entirely on uh, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown creating uh, off the dribble. And they just felt like they didn't really find, especially in the finals, find a great offensive lineup of, of five guys that really uh, work for them. I can imagine a lineup with Brogdon, Smart, Jalen, Jason, and Robert Williams or put in Al Horford there just being much more of a, a dynamic offense uh, than kind of what we saw. We saw it at moments with the Celtics last season, but it definitely wasn't uh, consistent for them, especially in, in kind of tighter situations in the playoffs. Yeah. And Brogdon could be used much like Derek White was, except he's just a better shooter. And, and like, you can't just leave him, abandon him. Last year, Brogdon ran a ton of pick and rolls. He was like up there near Chris Paul in amount of pick and rolls run per game, which is kind of crazy. He certainly won't do that in Boston, but it goes to show you how much of the offense he was in charge of in Indiana and how used to that he will be if he needs to be used as a primary ball handler late in games. Um, I do think like that's another thing the Celtics are going to have to figure out. Like, how are they going to maximize all those guys together? Um, and how, how are they going to use Brogdon? Is he going to be their point guard in crunch time? Is, is he going to be setting screens for Jason Tatum so that Tatum can get a smaller guy on him and they, and they can try to go out and mismatch that way? Like, is he going to be spotted up in the corner? Like Marcus Smart was sometimes like, how are they going to use him? How are they going to maximize those guys in crunch time last year? I mean, you look at the Celtics crunch time numbers, both in the playoffs and in the regular season. They just weren't good in crunch time. And I know that a lot of those numbers are skewed to early in the regular season when they just sucked when they were playing Dennis Schroeder and trotting him out there. And they just hadn't figured out how to play winning basketball yet. But I still think the way that the fourth quarters unfolded against Golden State, like figuring out crunch time, figuring out how to score against a set defense, against a great set defense is like one of their primary challenges entering this season. How do they figure that out? How does Brogdon fit into that? Uh, and I definitely think that Brogdon can be a piece of helping solve that um, because he can play, he can be the the engine of the offense or he can be just like a smaller piece. And I think he fits in either way and can help you either way and can give you more spacing either way. So, yeah, I think I think it's pretty clear like they'll probably go small most of the time in closing time, um, which they kind of did a lot of the time last year anyway. But what I do think is probably smart Brogdon, Tatum, Brown, and Robert Williams most of the time in crunch time. And that, that could be could be a very good lineup, could be a very fun lineup. Um, and it could be a, a better scoring lineup than they were able to put on the court at the end of games last year. Yeah, I think Brogdon's usage is going to be fascinating in part because – when he was with Milwaukee, he played much more of a, a smaller or not a smaller role, but his usage was is down just because there's like kind of more players there. And then his usage kind of went up to like t close to 25% uh, in his three years in Indiana. And so I think the question is like, is he your guy where you 
he is the leader of the bench unit who kind of comes in and you can you feel comfortable taking Jason Tatum off the court and just kind of like having Malcolm Brogdon run the show there and is he and, and does that ha- kind of help him adjust to having this bench role where it's like okay you are our sixth man but when you come in we're going to put the ball in your hands and expect you to be great it feels like the Celtics last year uh, in their rotation a lot of times it was they they didn't really have a, a clear backup point guard a lot of times the backup kind of ball handler it was Jason Tatum and the bench and that that was kind of what their offense was and so is is like what role does Brogdon carve for himself in terms of like all right we're going to take Tatum out of the game or Tatum and Smart out of the game and now Brogdon comes in you are the primary ball handler and then uh you'll get you'll run the offense there and then we'll kind of figure it out as we kind of cycle these players back but I do think his adjustment to kind of be going he basically was a sixth man and then became a starter in Indiana and now he's kind of have to go like how does he adjust to kind of falling back into less touches, less of the offense run for him? And like, let, he like he was the man in Indiana and now he's just clearly what the, the I think third or fourth option uh, in terms of this team, in terms of offense. Like how does he adjust to that? Uh, I think is going to be a interesting thing to see like coming into this season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and that's, that's one of the, the big, and these are like, these are good questions to have. <laughs> that's <what> I- <laughs> right. Adding Malcolm Brogdon to a team that reached the finals last year and figuring out how to to maximize a bench that now has Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Peyton Pritchard, like three pretty good guards. Uh, that's a good problem to have, but it's definitely something that Emi Odoka is going to have to figure out. Um, not just like stylistically how does it fit, but also like how is Brogdon with coming off the bench and how is – Marcus Smart with having such a now established point guard but coming off the bench behind him. And I I just think there are it's not always going to be easy uh dealing with with that, even though like overall adding Brogdon should be a very good thing. It's kind of funny because I feel like we've spent a lot of the offseason talking about Gallinari. Sam Hauser, how Brogdon fits in, but ultimately like this, the Celtics go as far. And the reason they have championship expectations is because Jason Tatum's a superstar. Jalen Brown's an all-star. And like these two guys are presumably like they're not presumably they're going to go like the Celtics are going to go as far as those two guys take them. And so it's not as like there's the, there's not as clear questions about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like you expect both of them to be good. You expect Jason Tatum to play at an all NBA level and you expect Jalen Brown to be an all-star. I think the question is like both of these players have in their kind of short NBA careers have gotten better each year. Uh, And so like, what is, what is a realistic expectation for both of these guys to improve next year? And what does that improvement look like? I guess we can start with Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown obviously had his struggles in the playoffs with turnovers and dribbling. uh, But I think he made a lot of strides last year as a playmaker. I thought despite his struggles in the playoffs, like just attack off the dribble ability to get into paint and score. I thought he was a, a, like a phenomenal player last year. I think he shot the ball a little bit worse than he did the year before in his all-star season, but he still averaged 24 points a game, six boards and, shot 36% from three. Like what, what is the expectation from Jalen Brown moving into next year? And like, where, where do you think he can prove and what, like, what do you expect to him? Where do you expect him to improve? I think it's just continued incremental growth. Kaizen baby. Kaizen baby. As a decision maker, a playmaker, like there are just a couple of plays every game, it feels like, where Jalen just tries to do something he shouldn't. And, and like, just cut out a couple of those. Just just cut out one or two a game, and all of a sudden that changes. And I, I think especially down the stretch, the Celtics as a team just need to be better about executing, getting what they want from every possession. And it's not just Jalen Brown. It's not just Jason Tatum. It's everybody. And last year was an adjustment period because Marcus Smart was playing point guard, starting at point guard for the first time. For the first time, they didn't have an offensive star at point guard next to Tatum and Brown. 
And so their roles were totally different. It worked really well. It worked well enough to get them to the finals. It worked well enough to have the top-ranked defense. It worked well enough to have, after February 10th, the trade deadline, the top-ranked offense. Um, but, like, against the Golden State Warriors, against the best of the best, they couldn't always create or get to what was the best option for their team. And and that's where Jalen needs to get better. I think as I looked at the stats, I was like, the one thing that really jumped out is his transition efficiency. Like, and I, I wrote about this in one of my recent stories on like what each Celtics player uh, should look to improve. And he's obviously a very gifted transition player. He scores a lot of transition points. I think he was 12th in the NBA in transition points during the regular season, fourth in the playoffs. But his transition efficiency, he was like third, last out of the top 30. Um, like of the top 30 transition point getters, he was third last in efficiency. And it's like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> like He's an absolute freak athlete, a powerful guy who, who can finish through traffic, who's become gifted with finishing – his left hand who can pull up for a three like there is no need for him to be where he is in those numbers and it's all decision making and obviously he has to stay aggressive he has to be like continue looking for a shot he has to continue forcing the action because that's where he's great that's where like he's just so gifted um but he also like just just some decision making tweaks to eliminate the toughest shots that he's taking to a you know, instead of forcing a, a bad fadeaway, like find someone on your team, create an advantage for somebody else. And I think he's gotten a lot, lot better at that. Like he's gotten infinitely better at that. Um, but that's that's like the next level for him. And that that's a way to unlock other guys on your team, not just yourself. And again, like they he and Tatum got so much better at that. Um, and it's, it's tough to lump them together sometimes because – they're not on the same level at everything. Uh, but like he definitely that that's that's where he needs to become more advanced. Is like just the smaller decisions that you make on a possession to possession basis. That feels like the the kind of obvious pick for Jalen Brown, but Jason Tatum was an uh, all NBA player last year. And so he like clearly got better with his playmaking, his uh, assists. Like all the attention was on him. I thought he handled it very well. We just saw him dominate games in the playoffs and become a, a superstar in this league. Where do you think he can improve? Like what and what is the expectation of him? Because like he had a pretty similar statistical year again last year, but he, I think he's like capable of of making a jump and becoming a little bit more efficient, but. Is this just the expectation with him, or does he ever like? Does is he capable of taking another leap uh, and becoming like an MVP type contender? And if so, like what what has he done differently to kind of vault himself into an MVP type guy? I think you see a lot of the very best players in the league, the first team All NBA guys, which he is, like go through a long playoff run and then come back the next year with like some something better. And you see, you've seen Giannis like he's added a little bit more post game. He's added like he's become a much much better passer, and he he's gotten so much better at like recognizing what the defense is doing to him and countering it. And and those are those are the the jumps that the best players make, and those are the jumps that Tatum has to make. Um, and I think part of it like. The the Warriors switched a ton and in the finals, and he wasn't always able to beat him. Like sometimes Bielitsa was on him and he would come up empty. Or sometimes like he needs to punish those. He needs to find ways to punish those. Uh he needs to find ways to like just especially in crunch time, like the very, very best players, the Stephs, the LeBrons, the like those guys get what they want out of every possession. I don't think Tatum's gotten to that point yet. I think he's gotten a lot, lot better at it. I think part of the reason why the Celtics made the finals was because he had some unbelievable games where he was just absolutely unstoppable. Um, the what he did in the finals, like that, doesn't cloud to me the rest of what he accomplished in the playoffs. But at the same time, 
Like it's just, especially in the highest leverage possessions, like you need to be counted on to get something that you want and not something that the defense wants you to take. And, and that's, that's the next layer for him to me. And, and like, there were times throughout the the playoffs where like the Celtics offices went missing. It was the turnovers. It was like long droughts. It was, there were some disgusting stretches that the Celtics had during the playoffs and they went seven against Milwaukee. They went seven against Miami and, and they just had, and obviously you don't expect things to be easy in the playoffs, but the Celtics made things very difficult on themselves. And I think part of that is Tatum just learning like, how to maximize every possession. And I, I know I, I'm probably going to sound boring because I said that with Jalen. I'm saying it with Tatum. But it's like when you get to the best of the best, those are that's what they have to do. It's like small, small tweaks that that are the difference between whether you win a close game or lose a close game because in the finals, they're mostly going to be close games. <laughs> like, to even the playoffs, you're going to have close series because those teams are all very, very freaking good. And everybody everywhere is awesome at basketball and there are very few flaws and you have to find those flaws and take advantage of them and you have to be able to hide your own flaws. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I see those guys needing to do. The thing that's interesting to me about Tatum is that as good as he was last year, like there were some times where his, especially his three-pointer was just not falling. And I think like a, lot, a big impact for him will be being able to kind of score in those moments, even when the outside shot's not falling. But I feel like, and I could be, I'm trying to like look over, hastily look over the game logs from last season, but I feel like there's a lot of games where it's like, oh, Tatum's one of seven from three right now, or like 0 for eight or two for eight, or it's like the three-pointer wasn't as uh, dangerous last year as it had been in previous years, but he still needs to find a way to get into the paint, get to the line and and score for this team because when that wasn't happening, you're right. The offense um, really took a hit, especially uh, in crunch time. And so I think a thing for him is just is continuing to get into paint, continuing to beat guys off the dribble, um, just to make it so he's not reliant so much on uh, kind of that outside scoring. Because if you look at the finals, there was just, and and sometimes in the playoffs, like he, he scored 10 points in one game in the playoffs against Miami. Uh he scored. Uh, miss. He was one of seven from three. He scored twelve points against the Warriors. One of five from three. Like he just. If you're gonna make a playoff run, you need him to be uh, impactful, even on the nights when his three point shots not falling. Like the Celtics just don't have uh, a great enough offense at this point to just like have Jason Tatum not score twenty points in each game. Yeah, and I think the 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 playmaking thing is is maybe as big or bigger than that. Like he averaged what was it seven assists in the finals like that's a huge number from a six foot eight wing and the amount that he's grown over the last couple of years as a playmaker as as an assist guy as as a guy who is in charge of the offense and not just in charge of getting his own bucket like it's it's huge and i i think because of that he has a potential to be, be even more and and be like a point guard basically for the celtics and he he operated in that role a lot last season, but when you're in that role, there's just another level you have to get to to dissect the defense, to to find the open guy, to continue doing it possession after possession after possession. And and I I think honestly like to 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 make the the strides that he's made at, with his vision and willingness to pass, um, like it, it's. It's really impressive what he's done at his size. There aren't many guys that size who can pick apart a team with passing the way he does at times. Um, but you just got to do it every possession. To to kind of combine the two conversations we were having, how do you think going smaller for the Celtics and having more guards on the court impacts, I guess, Jason Tatum as, as an offensive player just because – Presumably, he ha he has more options and people to pass to, and and is I guess maybe being guarded by larger defenders. How do you think kind of the the shift in that uh, impacts Tatum just playing with a, uh, in much smaller lineups? Yeah, I think the more shooting you can get around him, the better. I like the Celtics. They ended up shooting pretty well last season toward the end of the year, uh, 
But teams would but load up against Tatum uh, and just really try to force the ball out of his hands. And so any shooting you can get around him will help a lead. Yeah, and, and when you're playing Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Robert Williams, which their closing lineup was a lot of the time, like those are three guys who are not great shooters. And Robert Williams, obviously, he's never going to shoot. He's going to impact spacing in different ways. But Derek White, there were times when he just could not shoot, would not shoot. Uh, Marcus Smart will shoot, but doesn't always do it well. And so I think the more shooting you can put around Tatum, especially with a guy like Brogdon, who can also put it on the floor and who can also run a pick and roll, um, like that's that should make things easier on him. It, it should open up the game for him a little bit. And I think that's part of the reason why they wanted Brogdon. That's part of the reason why they went out and sought Gallinari was because they thought watching the finals, their offense needed just a little little bit of a boost sometimes. And and those two guys could give it to him. Although Gallinari just suffered a an unfortunate injury with the Italian national team. We shall see and what happens. How, and now it's Hauser time. Now it's Hauser time. Now it's Jake Lehman time. Now it's Denzel Valentine time. Is there any chance Jake Lehman or Denzel Valentine, uh, who I think signed non-guaranteed deals recently, make an impact on this team? Jake Lehman is from the Boston area, so we do have to mention that. Jake Lehman was like pretty good for the Blazers a few years ago. And he's still young. I he started 33 games for the Blazers in 2018-19. He shot 51% that year. He's never been like a a good enough shooter, but maybe if he starts to knock down the threes. He's a big wing, athletic wing. Okay, now tell me everything you know about Denzel Valentine. Valentine, I mean, <laughs> he was great in college. He was a great college player. Uh, uh, summer league champion, too. Also a summer league champion and hit a hell of a shot to, to end that summer league. The Bulls were back. So watch out, folks. Uh, coming to a practice court near you. Both Jake Lehman and Denzel Valentine. Uh, it's going to be pretty wild and exciting stuff. All right, Jay, we are going to end here. And this is just, I, I need to be checked. I, you are, are a learned basketball man. You have strong basketball opinions and basketball opinions for which I respect. Um, and so I need, I recently. That's probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Uh, uh, that I respect you? Uh, yeah, I don't say it often, but so savory. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So the other, I'm the other, shocked right now. The other week or two weeks ago, like the 2K ratings came out, and for some reason the introductory tweet was like all the Celtics and all the Warriors, and in that I saw that Jordan Poole was like an 84 and Marcus Smart was an 82, and I just like fired off a quote tweet and I said Jordan Poole is not a better basketball player than Marcus Smart. And I don't think I've ever tweeted something that's gotten more engagement in my life where just people like hopping in my mentions, just like two very, very strong sides is very willing to debate this issue. And just like I've been called a clown left and right, mostly by Warriors fans. Uh, but I didn't think what I was saying was that much of a hot take. And so the question is to you, Jay, who is a better basketball player, Jordan Poole or Marcus Smart? Marcus Smart. Thank you. Like, it's but not, it's not Poole, like that much of a question. Jordan Poole can score the basketball, but I feel like Marcus Smart's better in everything else. Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole got way, way better than I thought he would ever get, though. So I respect the hell out of Jordan Poole. He's a dangerous man with the ball in his hands. He's a dangerous man moving without the ball. But, yeah, Marcus Smart is a better basketball player. Is, is Defense matters, too, guys. Defense matters, too. Defense, playmaking, rebounding, just all like Marcus Smart's the defensive player of the year. Like I just don't understand. I I felt it's like taking crazy pills. And then I'm wondering, you're you're a man with many, many followers. Is this what like your mentions are like anytime you tweet anything? It's just people coming at your throat? Yeah. Especially if you let off a take, a real take. Um, then people just get mad. The the world was mad at me when I uh 
I thought that Justin Herbert was just getting too much respect for playing through <laughs> I saw pain. That. You ate the trash on that one. <laughs> people, people were so mad at me, but but let's be honest here. The guy could have walked for one more yard and and chose chose not to do it because he just could not summon the courage. And yes, he threw some nice passes after that. <laughs> yes, he yes. converted on fourth down after that. Yes, his ribs were were clearly in in some pain, but I cannot sit here and listen to people call it one of the toughest performances ever when the guy <laughs> could have just rolled it for a first down. It could have crawled for a first down and did some some soft little throwaway. But yeah, that, that I kn- I knew people were going to be mad about that one when I let it off. But the, the the level of hostility I saw was probably a little more intense than I even anticipated. So it, when you're in the take game, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. Once you let off a take, the the people get angry. They get real mad. It's wise words from Jay King. If you're in the take game, you got to be ready. I think also when you are a, a journalist and you're questioning the toughness of NFL players, uh, you got to be ready because people. People are not really ready for that, for uh, non-athletes uh, to question the toughness of athletes. Somebody somebody also tweeted at me, like, why aren't you this? Why don't you get this mad about Celtics players when they do stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, that's my job. Like, I, I, I am not going to sit here and just sling off wild takes when, when it's my job. Like, wild, uninformed, just awful takes? No. I'm going to give more informed takes. I'm going to give more well-rounded takes. And I'm going to actually do a try to do a decent job of presenting fairness in my actual stories and podcasting and whatnot. But when it comes to Justin Her- Herbert, who I do not cover, and I could just be listening there and sling off a wild take if I want to. And I appreciate that sometimes. I do like football, Jay King, because it's when your your fandom checks back in. Uh, if you, you're very objective when it comes to basketball and the Celtics, but then it's like, as soon as the Patriots are on, you're like, kill that motherfucker. And so, uh, I think we should, yeah. we should end Mac Jones. We should end on a new, uh, new segment. I'm calling the Patriots minute. Give me your, uh, your takes from, uh, the Steelers, uh, Patriots game. The Patriots are absolute dog shit. They are an awful, awful football team. I am disgusted watching them. Uh, to go from watching Tom Brady to watching whatever this offense is right now, it's just despicable. It's vile. It's it's unforgivable. And Bill Belichick will probably win like nine or ten games with this team somehow. And I'll watch it every week. And I'll be sitting there just just kind of disgusted with myself, with the team, with the organization with the entire sport of football that that they can allow such a pathetic offense to to play and to be in games every week. Like Bill's going to get this team to the playoffs and people are <laughs> going to shit on him every week and and he's just going to get him to the playoffs and and I'll hate it all the whole year through. And then they're just going to get pounded by the Bills again or maybe Mahomes will beat him by like 40 in the playoffs. Or maybe Herbert will come back just to torture me and throw like five touchdowns against them in the wild card round. It's it's ugly this year, but but I'll never stop watching. I'll well, never I, stop watching. I got one. I, well, Jacoby I you, Myers is that dude, though. <laughs> I th- I need more Jonu Smith in the lineup. I need more tight ends. I'm used to dueling tight end football, but... Um, I don't know that much about football. I do like it when you tweet about football because the inner fan comes out. My last question for you, Jay King, is having a senior football advisor and offensive line coach uh, call the plays for you, is that potable? Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Belichick, it, it's it's not up to Everything me to criticize. Everything is potable! <laughs> That was a good one. That was a good one. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.